Aha, ha, ha, ha. What it do, baby? Hey, what's going on? Welcome to episode number 743 of Locked On Raptors for Thursday, July the 16th. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter, as always, at WoodleySean. You can find the show at Locked On Raptors. You can find links to every single episode of the podcast. And of course, please make sure you are checking out the Locked On Podcast Network. We've got so much stuff going on across the network for you. As sports near a return, we're like eight days away from baseball. The Locked On MLB Network is going strong. Hockey, basketball, football, all of that. Uh, you know, the returns are varying degrees of concerning and worrying, but they're happening nonetheless, uh, despite what I may say on this podcast. So uh, if you are excited for your team to come back, as uh, a lot of people are, please go and check out the corresponding Locked On shows covering those teams, including Locked On Blue Jays, where AJ Andrews is doing a great job talking about the Blue Jays uh, split squad five inning games, where apparently pitchers after uh, giving up seven runs in an inning can just say, nope, inning's over, we're done, which is uh, pretty fun. So go check that out over on Lockdown Blue Jays with A.J. Andrews. All right, on today's show, we are continuing on our trip around the Eastern Conference to preview all of the teams in the East bubble ahead of the restart in the end of July, early August. The Raptors, of course, get going August 1st. And one of the games they play in their eight-game lead-up to the start of the playoffs will actually kind of have some implications. It's pretty clear that the Raptors are favorites to land the two-seed, but one game could kind of swing that depending on how things play out in the eight-game lead-up to the postseason. And that game is against the Boston Celtics, the dreaded Boston Celtics, enemies of the podcast. Uh, Joining me today to catch us up on where the Celtics are, where they were when last we saw them, and and so much more, is uh, one of our favorites here and a guy who's graciously taken some time to talk to my Celtics-hating ass. It is a guy who does wonderful work with Ben Golliver on the Open Floor podcast, as well as his own podcast, The Winning Plays Celtics podcast. It is Michael Pina. Michael, what's going on, buddy? Sean, my man, how you doing? I'm good. I'm happy to talk to you. It's been a little while since you were on the show, so I'm uh, thankful we could line it up, and it felt like a good time. The Celtics are the team I find myself thinking about the most, non-Raptors division, in the lead-up to the return here. Um, I guess we should start with the way we start off all of these sort of restart preview episodes. What, what were the Celtics up to when last we saw them? How were they trending? What were the big stories with the team? Catch us up as to uh, what the Celtics were up to and what they are up to heading into the bubble here. Sure. So, I mean, the Celtics were good before uh, the season was suspended. Uh, I think one of the most, uh, starting with the positive, was... Jason Tatum and his ascension to what some might debate and call him a top 10 player. Uh, You know, you obviously need to be a little bit more consistent for an entire season and not just a couple months stretch to get that type of accolade, but he performed brilliantly uh, down the stretch the last couple months before the season was suspended and really started to look like a premier primary option on a championship contender, which is what the Celtics really needed after they lost Kyrie Irving. And so uh, that was really good for the Celtics going forward uh, to get a two-way guy like that. He made his first all-star team. Uh, uh, Accompanying him has been Jalen Brown, who has had the temperament and on-court maturity to 
really accept uh, kind of like a 1A or 1B role beside Tatum, which has been really terrific for the organization to see, having two two-way guys who are really good on both sides of the ball. Um, a little bit more on the negative side was uh, Kemba Walker, mm-hmm. who <clears throat> suffered, who just has been – I guess suffer may not be the right word, but he's had a lingering knee issue that the team has been worried about for quite some time. And before the season was suspended, he missed some time and they held him out and a little bit of his precautionary, but some of it is, it hurts him uh, quite a bit. And this is someone who played in all 82 last year with the Charlotte Hornets with a, a lot of pressure on his shoulders to come through every night for that team. So that might be an after effect of that. Um, and you know, after four months off, you would expect that maybe he would be a little bit better, uh, physically with that knee. And he kind of that, I don't think that's been the case. Uh, the Celtics have been, are still very, very cautious with it. And so it'll be fascinating to see just how he looks once games begin, because he is integral to, you know, calling them a championship contender. You need Kemba Walker to be that guy who's launching seven or eight pull-up threes a game at a really high clip, who's getting to the basket, who's facilitating offensively, and playing at an all-star level. So if they don't have that, then this whole conversation is probably for not against elite teams like Toronto and Milwaukee. Um, But if they do, then it gets a little bit more interesting. Yeah, so the Kemba thing is fascinating to me because, you know, obviously he's an excellent player. We all love Kemba Walker. He seems to have really kind of fit in where Kyrie just never did, and it, and it just seems like a much more harmonious situation there in Boston than it ever was when Kyrie was there, even though I think you'd probably say Kyrie's a more talented player on the surface. Um, and also I think, you know, having him be such a sort of level-headed dude along with Tatum taking off, it kind of solves the problem. It seemed like Boston was dealing with last season with Kyrie uh, and, you know, I guess the last two seasons, I I suppose, where there's just like a lot of mouths to feed and it's kind of unsure as to, you know, where the ball goes when things matter most and what's the hierarchy and does that cause problems within the locker room? Like, it's Jason Tatum now. He's very clearly the number one option with, you know, Hayward, Brown, and Walker all kind of, you know, mixing in as the number two or just like the two through four is kind of amorphous at this point. Um, But with Kemba, I I mean, I'm a little bit unsure. Like, maybe I'm being far too skeptical on someone who's proven he's very good, but he does, to me, kind of strike me as someone that we have no idea what playoff basketball, like real non-Hornets playoff basketball, sorry to Hornets fans, is going to actually mean for him, right? Like, he's a smaller guard. He relies on, on, on sort of, like he's, I guess he's a good athlete, but he's not like an explosive Russell Westbrook style athlete. Like he relies on smarts. He relies on uh, sort of that kind of thing to get through as a, as a smaller guard. And, you know, he's not an incredible defender or anything like that. I know he's made some strides this season and been pretty good, but he's, you know, probably if you're looking at liabilities that you're going to try to attack, he's certainly one of them in the Celtics lineup. And so I'm wondering, you know, are, are you concerned about playoff Kemba Walker on a team that again has higher aspirations than the Hornets ever did during his time there? I think, you know, when healthy or if healthy, I really don't have too many concerns about Kemba because the Celtics aren't really leaning on him to be this primary scoring option. Even in crunch time, they won't need to throw him the ball and have him go to work and, you know, cook from the mid-range or try to get to the basket and, and struggle there because of his diminutive size, as you mentioned. 
Um, having Tatum there as the clear guy really loosens a lot of the pressure from, from Kemba Walker. And I think that that is just really fantastic for everyone all around. And so uh, I'm not really worried. I think a lot of the concern more comes from just his physical fitness and his ability to go 100% through three or four playoff rounds, however far this team gets. And furthermore, like there are other options on this team as well who can handle the ball, who can facilitate, who can let Kemba work off the ball and run off pin downs and take threes that way that are a little bit more simple than the ones that he had to take off the bounce when he was in Charlotte. So I think his job, his life will be a little bit easier than it ever was in those brief stints, those brief playoff performances we saw when he was with the Hornets. And I just don't think there's a ton of pressure on him to do anything extraordinary, which is what you would see as a concern with someone of his size. Totally fair. Uh, and, you know, uh, he does seem like the kind of guy who, you know, he, he just kind of seems like a badass. I don't know. Like, maybe that's horrible analysis or something, but he does seem to have, like, the just like, yeah, you know what? Who cares? Like, I'm Kemba F. and Walker, and I'm going to be good in the playoffs because I kind of have that in me, and that very well could happen. Um, we're going to continue talking about the Celtics and, in particular, their lineup construction and how the center position looks for them uh, in the next segment. But first, I want to tell people about rockauto.com, which you, you've heard me talk about Rock Auto before. I'm a big, dumb car idiot, and uh, things go wrong on my car all the time, and I end up paying way too much to get parts replaced and things like that because I did not know previously about rockauto.com, which is a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manual manufacturers they've got everything from engine control modules brake parts tail lamps i've gotten a gas cap off of them before whether it's for your classic that you're tuning up or your daily driver get everything you need and a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door the rockauto.com catalog is unique and it's remarkably easy to navigate you just type in your car your make model and your year and they find all of those parts the most used parts for your vehicle and you can choose the brand specifications and prices you prefer and it goes back so so far to like the 60s and 50s and whenever the cars were invented best of all prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low and the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers why spend up to twice as much for the exact same parts go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck and write locked on in their how did you hear about us box so they know that we sent you amazing selection reliably low prices all the car parts you're ever going to need at rockauto.com all right, Michael, let's uh, continue talking about the Celtics here. And, you know, this is an interesting team because they're a little bit top heavy in terms of, you know, and, and like they're, they're extremely top heavy in the fact that their top guys are very, very good. And that's been played out all season long in the fact that they have incredible numbers. Their numbers suggest that they might be the second best team in the Eastern Conference, slightly ahead of the Raptors um, in terms of their, their just raw efficiency and their, their, just their top five in both offense and defense. They're extremely good. Um, you know, Jason Tatum has been excellent. Jalen Brown. Uh, we know Marcus smart how good he is you know despite you know perceived three-point shooting shortcomings even though he's come around quite a bit with that this season uh Gordon Hayward has had his moments this year as well You've, you you kind of know the main guys on this team it's the center position that I'm a little unsure about I know Daniel Tice has been quite good and he will you know he's like the first answer when you say well who's playing center and Celtics fans well Daniel Tice has been doing it all year okay sure I, I'm just I'm 
curious about what it looks like with Daniel Tice as like your center in a playoff series and sort of does he become a liability on either end of the floor. Um, then you've got Ennis Cantor who can score, sure, and is great for uh, Instagram content with all of the uh, delicious waffles he, looks, he, he likes to make with candy and cookies and all that stuff. That's fun, but he's not necessarily someone you trust, I think, in a playoff series and like a high-level playoff series, if you're, you know, unless you're the Portland Trailblazers last year, I guess, which maybe is a sign of hope for Boston fans. There's Robert Williams. There's a few other guys who mix in, Grant Williams as well. Um, I'm just curious, Michael, what's the center position look like for Boston in sort of like the highest leverage minutes of a playoff game? And, you know, do you think that is something that could potentially undo them lineup wise just because they don't have a ton of reliable size and maybe teams that are bigger might be able to kind of beat up on them because of that? Yeah, I mean, this was an issue, I think. Uh, for the Celtics when we kind of saw what their roster was going to look like. And there was a lot of question marks about where the size was going to come from and who was going to be kind of the permanent number five. And I think Tice, as you mentioned, has been terrific in his role. And I think he's, you know, he tore his ACL or he suffered a, a serious knee injury uh, last year. And, and that which feels like 20 million years ago for the record. But when he came back, he, you know, he's kind of found a groove and uh, he's someone who isn't bashful about, he's not super high volume three point shooter, but isn't bashful if you leave him wide open on a pick and pop and he has a capable stroke to knock open threes down. So he's an intriguing player at that position. He's really physical and he just, he knows exactly what he's supposed to do, which is so valuable on a team that has multiple ball handlers and multiple guys who want the ball and want to score. He doesn't care about, uh, uh, about touches. He doesn't need it. Um, and so he's been, he's been really good in that role. Um, to your point, you know, if there are certain matchups that just, really aren't great for him and you know the one that really pops into my head is the Philadelphia 76ers with Joel Embiid who is not a great matchup for anybody mm -hmm. but Tice just doesn't have the the size or the girth to to bang with someone like that and so you then kind of look around at the depth chart and in a situation like that I think someone like Ennis Cantor who is a bit stronger a bit more willing to mix it up in the paint uh, could be more interesting. And Ennis Cantor is not, I, th I think like Brad Stevens has not had a lot of trust in Ennis Cantor at times this season because of his defensive shortcomings, but against a team like the Philadelphia 76ers, it gets a little intriguing because that team does not shoot the three ball particularly well. So you're not as concerned with Ennis Cantor uh, getting just destroyed as he would, uh, against a team like the Milwaukee Bucks um, or the Toronto Raptors. Um, so, you know, neither of these names are really flashy or particularly impressive. I think that Boston is banking on, uh, uh, you know, uh, the scoring and the versatility in other areas of the roster. You know, some Celtics fans will look at a player like Rob Williams, who – by all accounts is hundred percent healthy and uh, really intriguing as an above the rim lob threat. Mm -hmm. And that's someone who the Celtics have not had for years because of how they play. 
but his athleticism on both ends would be very fascinating. I, I, you can't really bank too much on what he provides and not having a five with any type of touch outside of the paint is just a liability in my opinion, unless, uh, you know, in really outside circumstances, it's really rare for me for, to, to play someone like that big minutes and expect to win. Um, so I don't put too much stock in Rob Williams, even though he's really fun and he has a fun nickname. Um, but when I, when I look at the Celtics, I still hold out this weird hope that Brad Stevens will play uh, the five best players on the team at the same time and just go super small and uh, play either, uh, you know, it doesn't really matter who's at the quote unquote five, but you kind of are able to scramble around and double team and trap and recover. And uh, I guess you could say that Marcus Smart would be the five in this lineup, which is you know, Kemba, <laughs> Marcus, Gordon Hayward, Tatum, and Jalen. And I just think the problems that they would create both in the half court and in transition in particular would be too much during key stretches of different games against most opponents that would either have to downsize or really suffer. Um, so yeah, that's like the best answer I can give you for the five position. It is really I, like, I think that that is where they're most vulnerable. You know, this team uh, rebounding the ball has been okay. Uh, not like incredible. Um, but the playoffs are just a whole different animal. And in particular, these playoffs where, we just don't know, like, you know, you can look at all these numbers from the regular season that was suspended, but I'm, I'm like kind of uncomfortable putting too much weight into them because uh, it was four months ago when these guys last played meaningful basketball together. And so we just don't know who's in the type of condition that, uh, or, or who is, who is, who is worse, who is out of shape, who is, uh, who has made a leap forward. Like, we just don't know. So it's really tricky. Uh, but the five position is definitely the point of the roster where I'd say there's the most question. Yeah, and that leads me into sort of thinking about, you know, how the Celtics might approach these eight games leading up and how it relates to seeding. Because, you know, as we mentioned, there are three games back of the Raptors right now with one against the Raptors to play. Still pretty unlikely that they'll jump up to two but you'd have to imagine they want to try to gun for that because there's a chance that they get, as you mentioned, the Sixers in the 3-6. You know, the Sixers could potentially climb up. I think they have a pretty easy schedule. And the Pacers, you know, who knows what Oladipo's status is going to be. It's hard to say. But, uh, and, and, you know, any kind of prediction of matchups is always a little bit, you know, fraught with uh, all sorts of you're going to be wrong about something. But in terms of the, Celt the, the Sixers in particular and, and that 3-6 that, that kind of looms, is that something that Celtics fans are worried about because of that size issue, because the Sixers have had some success against Boston this year? Or is that more of a you know, weird regular season thing you're not paying a lot of attention to and you're just kind of looking at the talent on the teams and the fit of the teams, which it's so obviously clear that Boston fits much better than Philly does, even with this experiment they're going to try with Ben Simmons to the four. I'm not really sure that doing that at this juncture and making Shake Milton your point guard is really going to fix what ails that team, you know, construction-wise. Um, so, like, yeah, is that something they're concerned about? Are they going to try to gun for the two-seed? Are they going to take it easy in this and not worry about matchups? Uh, what do you think the Celtics' approach is going to be here? Yeah, that's a really excellent question. I mean, look, I don't think that you want to play uh, a team like 
the Philadelphia 76ers in round one. That's not ideal. I think the hope there is that if it's, if you're the Celtics, that the Sixers will bump up to either the five or the four seed mm-hmm. and that you get the Pacers and this weird uh, Victor Oladipo situation where you, he doesn't really seem to be all gung-ho about playing, but he might play for financial reasons. I don't really know what, what is going on there. <laughs> but the Pacers don't have the top-tier talent that scares you uh, the way that the Sixers do with Simmons and, in particular, Embiid. Uh, so the hope is that uh, – I mean, if you're the Celtics, you can't really control what the Sixers do regardless of their schedule. But I will say that, you know, historically they've – uh, really valued health and rest and uh, taking care of themselves rather than overextending during the regular season for the purposes of playoff seeding. And so in a, in particular where like a situation where uh, home court does not factor in, because I think if, you know, they were playing for home court and needing the two versus because they wanted to play the more games at home at, at, at TD Garden than having to go to Toronto for the second round series, then that would matter and they might be a little bit more aggressive with it. But the fact that they're all going to be playing in the same bubble in a possible second round matchup against Toronto, uh, I think lets them take their foot off the gas a little bit mm-hmm. and not stress too much about what else is going on in the conference. That makes a ton of sense. And, you know, it's interesting because the Celtics schedule is slated to be this easy one. They're, I think they're the second easiest by strength of schedule, but they're coming up against a lot of teams that are kind of desperate for seeding and are trying to like make it into the playoffs and aren't in the same comfortable position. Boston is, as you mentioned, with that second round series um, sort of already lined up and set in stone, it would seem. Um, so it's all very fascinating to see like what kind of strength of schedule they're actually going to come up against as opposed to what they are on paper. Um, we're going to continue talking about the Celtics and in particular how they match up with the Raptors in just a second. But first, I want to remind people to go check out Locked on Celtics with our pal John Corrales. He's doing a great job over there. Uh, and if you, like me, are thinking about the Celtics just like kind of randomly throughout your day thinking, oh, what are the Celtics up to? Should I be scared? Should I not be scared? Uh, I recommend go checking out our pal John over on Locked on Celtics. All right, Michael. So yeah, the Raptors and Celtics seem like they're pretty much destined to play a second round series. The second round series we've been dreaming of for so many years through so many iterations of the Raptors and Celtics. And, you know, as is often the case with this matchup, there's a chance it gets derailed, I'm sure. Uh, You know, an untimely first round upset, a weird slip down to the four seed for Boston as Miami goes 8-0. Who knows? But this seems like we're finally going to get it. And it's very exciting because I think this matchup just kicks ass as like a basketball matchup to think about and all the different machinations. You know, you have, as you mentioned, the, the Celtics have that really small lineup they could throw out and cause a whole bunch of problems. The Raptors can counter that by playing their super duper big lineup with OG at the two, Pascal at the three, Serge and, and Marcus Saul at the four and five. And, you know, that, that's really fascinating to think about. Um, in terms of a Raptors matchup, what do you see? Who do you think has the edge is it just as simple as a coin flip based on who's feeling well on that day um I, i'm just i'm so excited it's it's a lot to dig into and it, it kind of to me when i think about it kind of, kind of comes out as uh, i don't know shoulder shrug because they're both so good yeah i agree with all that i think that you know before the season was suspended i was kind of just leaning towards whoever had home court was just going to win in seven at the buzzer um And now, obviously, that kind of goes out the window. When I look at this Raptors team, I mean, 
their regular season was just like so freaking impressive with the different injuries that they had to deal deal with and uh, Pascal Siakam's rise to uh, an all-star and uh, everything that Fred Van Fleet did uh, in his role where he's kind of become just this really, really intriguing jitterbug player. Um, to say nothing of Kyle Lowry, who's just like one of my all-time favorite players to watch. Um, this team is, yeah, they, they play with this ridiculous confidence. You can tell that they play with uh, just so much uh, energy for their coach, which is like really awesome to see. And uh, it, like you just, everyone on that team will run through a brick wall for Nick Nurse. And that's mm-hmm. just, that's, that's awesome. Um, they have a ton of versatility, just like the Celtics do. But I think the, the Raptors have a little bit more athleticism that is dependable and I, I mean like someone who I've been really fascinated by uh is OG Ananobi mm-hmm. and um you know they're I guess like the championship season was kind of like a not like it, that was not a coming out party for him you know he barely played in the playoffs he had uh personal issues he had uh physical issues uh, this season, like, he's just had these moments, be it, like, uh, handling the ball in traffic, where I did not think he could do that without losing control, which would result in him just, like, dunking on someone, or uh, <laughs> his just, like, poise uh, in the face of having to switch from a six foot point guard to a six nine power forward uh he's just I I love everything about him and he fits really well with everything that like the style the different styles that Nick Nurse wants to play and everything so uh he is a really intriguing x-factor I think in in these playoffs for for that reason um I will say like I don't know if this is just my bias as someone who grew up uh, right outside Boston and everyone listening to this podcast will just like scream. Yes, uh, probably. (laughs) But when I try to figure out and splice uh, an advantage, I look at how in typical playoff series, you know, you shorten rotations where depth is not as much of a factor. And I don't think that depth will be as much of a factor, particularly in this series as it would be in another. And I just think that, like, it sounds so simplistic and dumb, but it comes down to, I think Jason Tatum is the best player in the series by a hair. And I think that he in a tight game will, I have more faith in his ability to create shots and get stops on uh, Pascal Siakam. Let's say hypothetically they're defending one another, which I think they would be than Pascal uh, scoring on him. And (laughs) it sounds so stupid. And, uh, and getting stops to the other end. Does that like make sense? Or is that like the dumbest analysis you've ever heard on this podcast? Or just like, what are your thoughts about that? No, I was going to literally ask you uh, for like a heads up answer. Who's better between Tatum and Siakam? Because you got to have the sports radio talk at some point on the podcast. <laughs> that's, that's what I did. Now you get them clicks, yeah. baby. Yeah. Um, I think, look, I think I agree with you on the whole Tatum is probably 
at least on the offensive end, a more refined player. I'd probably take Siakam and his sort of like free safety stuff that he does so well on defense. You know, I think there's this impression that Siakam dropped off defensively this season. I think that's fair for the first part of the year as he was really carrying that load and was kind of having his own Tatum turn in that first part of the season where he just looked like a, you know, a borderline MVP candidate for, for like a month and yeah. then things kind of cooled. I think his defense really came back near the end of the shortened season. And, you know, the last game he played before the stoppage was probably his best all season against the Jazz where he just, like, tore them apart uh, on both offense and was incredible defensively as well. Um, so, like, I, look, I, I think oftentimes I do sort of think about the who's the best player in a series question a lot going into things because, you know, I'm a person who's watched LeBron James destroy the team I like a million times. And that has often kind of just been the deciding factor. I think it's like close enough between Tatum and Siakam and it will just kind of depend on the day that I don't know if it's as important a question for this series as it would be for a series where there's like, I kind of think of like the 2017-18 Raptors where they had like this incredible statistical profile, far better than the Cavaliers. They were this excellent team with a ton of good players. The Cavs had, you know, Kevin Love, LeBron and like Jeff Green and it was like, they should be better than this team, but LeBron was just better than everybody and was spinning the ball in Serge Ibaka's face by the end of the series. Mm. And that was just because he was so much better than anyone else in the series. I don't think it's significant enough a difference between Tatum and Siakam for it to be the most important question of the series. Does that make sense, or is that stupid analysis? No, that for sure makes sense. I mean, like, Jason Tatum is not as good as LeBron is an argument I'll be willing to hear. Um, <laughs> So I'm here for that. Um, No, what you said makes perfect sense. And it's just like my brain melts when I start to try to figure out which team would have a leg up in this matchup. And like, like if Gordon Hayward just doesn't come to play uh, and is just terrible, then yeah, the Celtics are probably not going to win that one. If uh, the same can be said with someone like Norm Powell, Mm-hmm. Or if Marcus Smart is able to bottle up or at least really make Kyle Lowry's life miserable um, in ways that very few are able to, and they kind of like negate each other, then I would give this advantage to the Celtics. So there's all these different variables and X factors that would go on that are way more, uh, I don't know if important is the right word, but just as telling as uh, Tatum being potentially slightly a hair better than Pascal Siakam. Um, I'm just like grasping at straws trying to come up with <laughs> an answer here. <laughs> and it's yeah. just, it's really difficult to kind of figure out. Cause even like uh, I would give Nick nurse an advantage against almost like a clear advantage against almost every coach in the league. And I do not think that it's such open shut case that he is supremely better than Brad Stevens. And I think Stevens is more amiable to adjusting on the fly, Mm -hmm. uh, particularly in the middle of a playoff series. So they kind of would cross each other out in a way that Nick Nurse would be a advantage in almost any other matchup. By the way, shout out to Nick Nurse today wearing a box in one sweater uh, for his press conference. Absolute king shit. Um, the thing, so the thing that I've been thinking about with this series, and the reason I think I gave a slight edge to the Raptors, and yeah, Raptors bias baked in. I'm just thinking, I'm trying to be as objective as I can with it because, like, ultimately, I don't care what the Raptors do in the playoffs. They've already defended their title nobly, and they have a title, and I'm fine. Whatever. Um, I think. The thing that gives me a little bit of a leaning towards Toronto is the fact that they have 
while if you you know deduce the rotations down to like eight guys you know maybe the talent disparity is not that huge i just think the raptors have more in terms of variation and like different styles they can play and different ways they can match up with boston to kind of put them on their heels and i don't know you know if that big lineup works for example i don't know what boston does to counter it you know i i don't think you have a center or or any big really who's as good as either Serge Ibaka or Marcus Saul. I don't know, you know, really who guards Pascal. I mean, Pascal's not had trouble with Jason Tatum this season. And I guess he only played the one game because he was hurt for the other two in, in the week of Christmas. But the the one game he played, he carved up the Celtics. And you know, I don't know if Tatum quite profiles as the type of super long, gangly, strong, huge defender that really tend to give him trouble, like a Jonathan Isaac or a Giannis or something like that. I think Tatum's slightly below that. And those guys, Siakam tends not to really have a ton of problems with. And so I think just the fact that the Raptors can play super small, they can play Siakam at the five, they can play OG at the five if they want to get super weird. They can go super big and play Gasol and Serge together or Gasol and Siakam on its own is very big as a starting front court. I just kind of think there's more opportunities for the Raptors to checkmate Boston than there are for the Celtics to checkmate the Raptors. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Um, I would say, like, it wouldn't surprise me if we're just getting, like, nitty-gritty with matchups. Like, if the Celtics were to, say, put Tatum on uh, either Fred Van Vliet or Kyle Lowry, Mm -hmm. which is something that Stevens has done in the past with great success because Tatum is, like – Tatum's really long, Mm -hmm. and he's super fast laterally. So what they'll do is they'll put him on the point guard and he'll crowd the point guard because he can, he can take away the pull-up and he's quick enough to recover if a, there's a blow-by situation. And the, the primary reason for that is just more like if there is a pick and roll, the Celtics can just switch it so much more easy than they otherwise would. And mm-hmm. so if you put someone like Marcus Smart or Grant Williams uh, – or whoever, Jalen Brown, on uh, a Pascal Siakam, then you kind of negate or uh, just kind of take away the potency of a pick and roll like that. And so I think the Celtics can be really versatile. And I didn't really even mention Grant Williams before as a possible player at the five. I think you did. Mm -hmm. But if he is knocking down open corner threes, then all of a sudden you're able to switch one through five in really intriguing ways. Um, so I think that this team does have versatility. I mean, the Raptors have like 10 out of 10 with versatility. And as you said, they can go really big, but if you're going really big and you're playing through Marcus and Serge Ibaka, I just wonder like, how much are you giving up on the table or leaving on the table? I should say offensively that you otherwise could have with more dynamic players on the floor. Yeah, I think what we've done after, uh, you know, 15, 20 minutes of spinning our tires in the mud uh, is determined that this is a very good matchup and there's not a lot to separate between these two teams. I think they're very clearly the second and third best teams in the conference. Uh, And, you know, honestly, I might put them closer to Milwaukee than I would to the Heat um, and, and like the Sixers in terms of like overall upside and championship contender status. I think they're really damn good. I think the coaching matchup is fascinating. I think the individual matchups are wonderful and will change, you know, game by game. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure as both of these coaches adapt, I just really hope we get it, man. I hope nothing stupid happens to derail it because it would be, uh, I think I've said this on this podcast. I've said it elsewhere. 
it will be the series of the playoffs, I, I think. You know, yes, Lakers, Clippers will be all sexy and all that, but I really think Celtics Raptors has a chance to be the most entertaining and most um, sort of like fascinating and closest of all the series that happen in the postseason. Um, and I uh, hopefully down the line, Michael, we can chat about a series going on between these two teams and uh, talk and probably spin our wheels even more trying to figure out the difference between them. <laughs> Hopefully, man. I mean, I, I agree with everything that you're saying. We've been waiting years for this series to happen. And, like, obviously what instead will take place is, like, the Orlando Magic will defeat the Toronto Raptors in round one, and that's just what's going to happen. And we're not going to get the, the Raptors Celtics as we've all been anticipating. That's so. a, a true nightmare. <laughs> I was thinking more like, you know, the Celtics fall to four, but that's fine. You can throw sure. it out there. That's, that's cool. Sure. Uh, <laughs> uh, Michael, thank you so much for jumping on the podcast. It was great to catch up with you for the first time in quite a while. Where can people check out your work? Uh, sure. So like, as you said at the top, I co-host the Open Floor podcast with uh, Ben Golliver. So if you want to subscribe to that, that would be wonderful. Also, the Winning Plays podcast. Uh, with my buddies, uh, Brian, Robin, Rich Levine. You can uh, subscribe to that as well, wherever you listen to podcasts. And then just uh, follow me on Twitter uh, at Michael V. Pina. Excellent. You do wonderful work. We'll be keeping an eye out. And uh, thank you so much for jumping on. You can find me at Woodley Sean. You can subscribe to, rate, and review this podcast. Of course, at all the podcast platforms, the ratings and reviews are very nice. We appreciate them uh, quite a bit. A couple other things you can check out. There's a new episode of uh, Basketball with myself and Katie Heindel that's dropping Thursday, probably right around the time this podcast drops, actually. So just have me in your feed all day long if that's what you want. Uh, Also, another podcast that came out today, I did an episode of the CEBL show uh, to tee up the Canadian Elite Basketball Summer Series. And it was announced last week that they are adopting the Elam ending for all 26 games of their tournament that's going down in St. Catharines, Ontario. I'll be doing play-by-play. That was actually announced yesterday as well in formal, uh, in a formal way. Um, you already knew that was happening anyway. But yeah, I'll be doing play-by-play. And I spoke with Nick Elam, the uh, man behind the Elam ending, and uh, about all the reasons why it's a better way to end basketball games and how, it's, how dumb fouls late in games are and all that stuff. So uh, go check that out if you're interested in the Elam ending, which could be coming to an NBA near you sometime. Uh, you know, that's not with any knowledge. It just feels like they wouldn't try that in the All-Star game if there was not some sort of plan to implement it in some other way down the line. Either way, go check that out. And uh, thanks again for always listening. We'll be back again on Friday. Still trying to schedule what Friday's episode is going to be, but keep an eye out. It will be fun no matter what. And uh, until then, thank you so much. We will talk to you again on Friday with another episode of Locked on Raptors. Locked on Raptors.